0: Welcome back to the PolicyViz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. On this week's episode, I chat with an old friend of mine, Ann Emery. If you know anything about the data visualization field, you will know Anne's name. If you know anything about the presentation field, you will know Anne's name. And if you know anything about how to create better looking reports and briefs and documents, you will know Anne's name. Ann and I go way back and we talk a little bit about that in this conversation uh, that you'll hear in just a little bit. And Anne, for the last year or so, has been traveling the world, conducting workshops, doing consulting work, and creating uh, great content for her website, for her online coursework, and lots of other things that she has been working on. So I was really excited to be able to catch up with her while she is in Japan. So if you've been paying attention to the show and the blog, you'll know that I have a new book out. It's called Elevate the Debate, a Multi-Layered approach to communicating your research. It is an edited volume that I wrote with many of my colleagues at the Urban Institute. I hope you'll check it out. I hope you'll enjoy it. Um, And I have been really enjoying a lot of the positive feedback and comments that I've been hearing. So if you've checked it out, if you've read it, I'd really love to hear your thoughts about it. I'd love to see a review on Amazon if you have some time. And uh, hopefully you can use it in your work and the way you communicate your data and your analysis. So my chat with Anne is pretty a long one. Um, We got into a lot of different uh, topics, uh, a lot of interesting things to think about when it comes to uh, communicating to people in different cultures and countries other than your own. So I hope you'll enjoy this talk on this week's episode of the podcast. So here is my conversation with Anne. Hi, Anne. How are you?
1: Hey, John. Good to hear from you. Uh,
0: Good evening or... Good morning, good morning here. Good morning. Or however you say good morning in Japanese. I don't know. I how
1: have that. no idea. It's <laughs> it's 11 a.m. Here, here in Japan where I'm working. And right. what time is it for you and where are
0: you? I am at, at home in Virginia. It's 9.15 p.m. Wow. This is quite the like logistical challenge.
1: <laughs> we'll see if it works. It's a new experiment <laughs> right. for both of us connecting right. like
0: that. I mean, it's 9.15. I might fall asleep right in the middle of this. You never know. Or the kids I will come too. in and be like, I can't sleep. Yeah.
1: Here's my cup of coffee. I'll send it to you virtually oh, through the you. screen. Right.
0: Well, I'm drinking my my evening tea, so <laughs> hopefully I put the right the right tea bag and it's not caffeinated. And I'll be up all night. <laughs> um, how are you? How you have you have been everywhere? The I last have
1: few I have been everywhere. I have been to. This is country number eight in the past year, and I've got a couple wow. more coming up. It's totally crazy, and a bunch of states, of course. But you know, right. I mean, you're a datavis trainer too. We just our job takes us all over. So
0: everywhere, yeah, yep. yep. So give me the quick list. Can you do the quick? Can you do the quick list? Of where I think you've been so. The last few I
1: think so. They're gonna f- they're gonna be in a funny order because it's gonna be chronological order. So in 2019, right. I went all over the U.S. of course to teach in person, speak at conferences, right. Canada, Guatemala, Zambia. Taiwan, Thailand, Vietnam, Japan. Right. And then in a few days, we go to Korea. Then China, just for a weekend for tourists. And then back to the right. US to like right. And who knows what 2020 has in store? That's kind of being formed yeah. now. Right, yeah. Right. Wow. But, but we don't fly in and out of places. Like we've been in Japan now for five weeks. So it's, it's yes, home. It's nice. like me, right. husband, kids. And we, we have like a yeah. home here, like a large right. apartment to have normal life in
0: addition to work life. Yeah, so you bring everybody with you.
1: I do. I didn't used to that's do that. Nice. That's that's new. So, <laughs> yep.
0: How's that? How does that work out? Do you does does your husband take the kids and and you go off and work and then because they're they're not yep. quite ready for school yet.
1: They're not quite ready for school. We have a year and a half till kindergarten starts. We have a four-year-old and a one-year-old. So the husband, we we did, you know, I'm a spreadsheet person like you are. So we did this spreadsheet math a million different ways to take a very (laughs) like calculated safe risk. Yeah, he left his salaried government job um, almost a year ago to run what we call daddy school. So right Right? now, so so sometimes they're working from home. I use my nice noise canceling headphones. I just kind of like (laughs) ignore what's going on in the other room of the home. And I just have my home office. Set up just like I normally would, no matter where. It's like the remote office goes with me. And on some recording days, like if I'm giving a webinar, I have a one-to-one coaching session. I'm going to do some recordings for an online course. I'm going to meet with you like this. They go out and they do field trips, and we just plan it a couple days in advance. And it's it's actually pretty easy. So they're at the zoo right now. You know, they're having like a normal preschool daddy-daughter field trip, just like they normally would. We just just happen to be in Japan doing that. But you know, you do that in Fairfax. It's it's the same anywhere.
0: Yeah, wherever. I mean, I'm sure most of the animals are the same. There's probably cool animals. Oh, I
1: don't know. I have no idea. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see. I'll see the pictures later.
0: (laughs) So when you're traveling these places, you're doing a lot of training, I would guess. Mm -hmm. And then you're also doing, you've got, um, I'm assuming you also got your your regular like set of consulting work and you've Mm -hmm. got your online course. Mm -hmm. Um, And what else have you got going on? all of that because that's not that's enough. That's
1: mostly it. Yeah, it's, I, I divide it in my mind into the training side and the consulting side. Yep. So on the training end, I do my in-person speaking, which is usually a day-long workshop. Sometimes in Vietnam, I did five days of training, which is fantastic. Think of how many examples and hands-on practice wow. you can do it in like a week together. It was like a conference. It was yep. amazing. It was the best case scenario. Um, in-person workshops. I do webinars, 60 to 90 minute webinars, mostly for professional societies if Mm -hmm. they know their members are all over the US or all over the world. I do conference talks. I do a few like big keynotes a year, online courses. I kind of lump in that training side. It's really unique though. We can talk about that. And then on the consulting side, that's, you know, regular consulting, like revamping reports and slideshows and dashboards for groups.
0: Right. So
1: I just... I do the consulting work from anywhere, anywhere with Wi-Fi connection. Yeah, sure. In between all of the in-person speaking, I build the online courses from anywhere.
0: Right. Well, let's. I want to let's talk about uh, kind of both sides because they Mm -hmm. both because you've doing so much traveling, you've got some interesting, I think, perspectives on both sides. Um, Certainly on the training side, I'm sure you have some interesting thoughts on like cultural differences and things that you've learned on the road. And then we can talk about the the one thing I want to make sure I asked you about was the work that you do on, um, on report design. Cause you'd spend a lot of time. You write a lot about that on your blog, which I always love to find those because I just think that that's like a unique skill and a unique place to be helping people do better specifically in designing their reports and doing data, data visit in the reports. But let's start on the training side. Cause I'm curious, are there big cultural things or big things you've learned traveling that's maybe different than outside the U S or inside the U.S.?
1: There are so many differences, and they're all—they're all little nuances, and maybe they're going to be obvious to you. I made a whole list this morning of nine. So, let's talk through a couple, okay. and let's see. All right, let's do it. Tell me when you're like, "This is so obvious, duh, and everybody knows this." You're just the dumb American who didn't know this. <laughs> or tell me when you're like, "Oh, I wouldn't—I would have thought of that because it's all new to me." Okay.
0: Right, okay. I've learned right.
1: traveling and speaking around the world. And and it's not just traveling this year, too. I've been doing this role for six years now. So it's been a, a lot of workshops, yeah. as you know. Um, so I have worked with interpreters, I've worked with sign language interpreters oh. and foreign language interpreters where people are wearing headsets. And mm-hmm. that's an interesting, an interesting scenario. So, like thing number one I've learned, this is gonna be obvious. You talk to the person the participant in your class, you don't talk to the interpreter. I think most people Mm -hmm. know that, like whether it's a sign language interpreter or for for a language interpreter, like if somebody is in the audience and they ask a question, they might not know, they might like face their body and look at the interpreter. But when you respond as the trainer, as the speaker, you look at the person, like even if the interpreter is speaking to the side of you in your ear, you still look at the person and maintain eye contact with them. Mm -hmm. Because as you know, Communication is words, but it's also body language and tone and the speed of your voice. It's so many things that go into communication. So looking at the person is super respectful and helpful to both of you.
0: So I actually knew that one, but I have also a little tweak on that one. I had a friend in high school who was deaf. And whenever we would talk on the phone, we would talk through one of the services Hmm. um, that would basically, the TTY service, where they would essentially type out what I was saying. And it took me, to, I had to get through the first call to realize that I don't talk to the person who is doing that translation, right? I just talk to my friend and the translation sort of happens, you know, happens yeah. on the side there. So, yeah. Um, well, which now is, which you is know. Not, yeah. Now I know. Yeah. So it, it you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So that's one. So translation, talk to people, still good.
1: Here's number two, which uh, I had to get over because this was not my preference. You have to share the training materials in advance so Mm. that the the interpreter and the person needing the interpretation can review it. They know what your keywords are. They know if there's any new vocab words like data viz versus data visualization that they're not familiar with. They can see generally how you've broken up the day, like what you're going to cover first and second and third. It's just Mm -hmm. so helpful for them to have a heads up of what you're covering. And that I had to get over because what I usually yeah. do is i I print my course packets, the course manuals, mm-hmm. and you just arrive, you know, you sit down as the participant and it's just on the conference room table in front of you. Yeah. So you just, you have to send that, you know, a week in advance, at least a day in advance so people can look through it. And the slides. So I know... Some of our trainer friends don't share slides after presentations. Right. I share mine after presentations. Yeah. I don't think they're helpful because they're so minimal. It's not like I have full paragraphs on my right. slide. It's it's not meant to be that type <laughs> of document. It's the slideshow. But it just it it's just one more little thing that helps the person needing the interpretation to know what you're gonna cover. Sharing materials yeah, in that's advance. Good.
0: So it's not like you're adding text to the slides or even in the notes of the slides for the interpreter translator to Review it's just that they get a sense of what you're gonna talk about generally,
1: that would be the best case scenario right i sure, i but, I don't have speaking notes that i I definitely don't yeah. have like the full i I don't right. have a script written out underneath my slides. I've thought about paying one of my assistants to do that where maybe mm-hmm. she watches um how would I do that logistically I'd have to record have, myself yeah. doing a training and she yep. kind of transcribe it out i th- yeah. I think so. Yeah. That's not out of the question. That would definitely, that's definitely something that's on my radar that, that I probably yeah. should do at this level.
0: Yeah. I mean, it seems like it certainly would help uh, the interpreter. Mm-hmm. I guess it also helps people who can't make the session
1: mm-hmm.
0: or, or miss part of the session. Mm-hmm. There's always those people who are like, oh, you know, I really want to come, but I can only be there for the first couple of hours and then yeah. I have to leave. So, you know, helps those people, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, okay. So that's, uh, we have two lessons.
1: Lesson number three. Talk with the interpreters ahead of time. Mm. You when have you're to, there. W- yes, when you're there, yeah. or a week ahead over Zoom or Skype, you know, preferably ahead of time on some type of conference call or video call. So the first couple of times I work with a sign language interpreter, like the very first time it was for a university. I was in the big auditorium. There were a few hundred people there. I knew there would be two interpreters because the faculty and the students had requested it. I didn't know how many people needed an interpreter. I don't know who they were, but I knew that there would be interpreters. I knew that they would be, I knew their names. I knew that they'd be two women. They'd be on the stage. Like this was all communicated to me in advance. Mm -hmm. And I so appreciated that. So I knew what to expect when I arrived. And then I spoke with the interpreters ahead of time. We knew we were going to meet about an hour before the presentation so that I could show them my slides. I just had them come up to the podium and I was like, well, first I'm going to talk about this and then I'm going to pause for an activity and it'll take about this long. And then here's the thing I'm going to talk about next because they want to know what words they might need to spell out like I, I don't know sign language but if they had to like spell out letters of like right. data visualization if there's no Symbol for that or sign for that? that, Then, then they need to know that in advance. And they usually say things like, "Wow, you talk about data a lot, and you talk (laughs) about graphs a lot." You know, they they just need to know like, what is is this a biology presentation? Is it economics presentation? No, it's data visualization.
0: Um, Yeah. So
1: that's the best case scenario. Is to talk with them ahead of time. Yeah. Sometimes, though, I you know this happened. There's always a hiccup in every presentation. Mm -hmm. I I get there and we're gonna have let's say it's a nine a.m. start time. At 8.59, an interpreter comes over to me and says, hi, by the way, I'm an interpreter. I'm signing for a few people in the audience today. Can you give me a rundown of what you're going to cover?
0: At 8.59? Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I, I do my best and we start late. We start about five minutes right. late because I think it's important to like try to give them as much of a rundown to make the day yeah. flow a lot smoother. But, you know, again, best case scenario is you you know in advance there's going to be an interpreter. And you plan with them and you share right. the materials with them.
0: Huh. Okay. All right. So, so far we've covered language. I feel like mm-hmm. this is like the first three rules around language. Mm-hmm. Okay. So rule four.
1: It's also language.
0: Language. language. This language. is a harder one no. no. Okay.
1: This is for me more advanced. It's more of a nuance. Try to avoid slang and idioms.
0: Uh, that's, that's a good one. That's got to be everywhere.
1: Tough. They are so tough. Yeah. So So there are phrases that you know what they mean. Like I'll say, at the end of the day, dot, dot, dot. But what does that mean to somebody who's speaking, who's a Vietnamese speaker, who English, I'm thinking of the interpreters I had in Hanoi a couple months ago. English is their third or fourth language. They're, Mm -hmm. They're very multilingual. They interpret from many different languages. And they're thinking, at the end of the day, what does that mean? So what I have to remind myself to say, this is very hard, I have to say, the most important thing I want you to remember is dot, dot, dot. I just say like the literal Mm. translation as directly and succinctly as possible. Low hanging fruit, dot, dot, dot. What that really means is the easiest edit to make to your graph is dot, dot, dot. Not like this is a low hanging fruit edit. I used to say that a lot. I just say, here's the easiest edit. Yeah. Start here, do this thing first.
0: So have you found other, other, so those are two really good ones. Have you found, have you caught yourself doing other ones that, I, I would guess that you know practicing, like listening to yourself talk, you catch all of your weird tics. You know that maybe mm-hmm. other people don't catch. Like, have you caught other ones? I'm trying to think of ones that I would say. That's a really, that is a really interesting one. Um, I
1: really have to think about it because they are yeah, everywhere they are. in our language. Yeah. So it's so natural right. to us. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. All right. So four, we've got a lot of language. We stick with language for number more, five. More language. Contractions. More language. <laughs>
1: Try not to speak in contractions. Huh. Instead of saying, don't do this thing. Don't have 3D right. exploding pie charts with 50 slices. The NT on don't in many people, mm-hmm. it kind of trails off. It's a little bit silent. Mm-hmm. There's a noise in the room. There's a noise outside the office building like there always is. There's some noise. The people hear the do, but they don't hear the NT at the end. <laughs> it just kind of trails <laughs> off. So instead of saying don't do this thing say do not do this thing and you have to emphasize the not with both your voice and your hands like do not use 3d pie charts or avoid 3d pie charts
0: so that particular technique seems like it would work it would also work in the US or Canada. So have you mm-hmm. found yourself using still sticking with that technique when you're when you're back in the States?
1: I, I try to because yeah. of the poor audio quality in most speaking environments. Like mm-hmm. once in a while I get super lucky. There's the perfect mic setup, there's the perfect speaker setup. The the stage or the room I'm speaking in has just the perfect acoustics. Yeah. But 99% of the time, there's some like weird thing about the room where or there's no microphone available, which which is really helpful. Like microphones can help so much with those kind of quieter sounds. So um, it's, you know, what's been interesting too, it's made me as a trainer get crystal clear about what I'm recommending people do and don't. I think Mm -hmm. flashback to Anne five years ago, I was more generous where I'd say, oh, well, it's probably the best case scenario to do this or (laughs) Well the the research is mixed on this thing so yeah, yeah. in the meantime i don't know you could maybe do this thing or this other thing in your graph and now i have to take a stand i have to uh-huh. say i recommend that you do do this and here's huh, why
0: okay. or right.
1: the research is mixed but i recommend that you do not do this one thing and you you emphasize right. it because people will take better notes that way they're going to have better mm-hmm. guidance so it that's that's challenging it's it's not just a yeah. speech thing of saying don't no right. Or do not. Yeah. It's it's a, a planning issue and a clarity of message issue.
0: Right, right. Okay. So I want to come back to that later because I want to hear what your what you think are your most controversial do's and do nots. Oh no. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we'll come back to that. Okay. So we've got. Uh, so we're on tip number six.
1: This is a little one. I think right. it matters though. I've noticed this speaking in Southeast Asia. Try to avoid religious phrases. For example, if I'm speaking and I have my clicker, my laser pointer in my hand, and it flies out of my hand, which happens <laughs> once in a while, my, my instinct, what I would normally say is, oh my goodness, or yep. oh my gosh, right? that has no translation to somebody who's not in a Judeo-Christian culture. What do mm. they mean? That, do they mean, like, the, I'm thinking of the translator. I'm putting myself in the translator's shoes. Okay, Anne just said, oh, my goodness. I want to translate that, even though it's not part of the, like, official presentation for the audience. They try to translate yeah. everything to make it feel more natural and real. So are they thinking that's a good thing, that the clicker just right. fell out of yeah, her hand just and just flopped on hand. the yeah. floor? Yeah. So I just try to say, oh, no. Yeah, or, yeah. or, oops, that's not good. I try to yeah. be as literal as possible.
0: Okay. So the one, uh, well, okay. So I have one I've picked up from Andy Kirk, but I want to, because it touches on the religious thing, but maybe it might be one of your nine. So I'll hold off. Hmm. Okay. So uh, we'll stay away from the religious stuff, which is probably just a generally like good rule of thumb
1: it is it is and when i when i was writing this one down i thought i should just try to speak without any phrases like that i don't know if there's any i do beyond oh my goodness or oh my gosh i really have to think about that one so anybody listening you know tweet at us yeah yeah
0: tweet us yeah let us know. know yeah yeah um okay that's a good one uh number seven
1: this is really hard to do and this might be a little controversial try to avoid speaking with an accent
0: That is going to be a tough one.
1: You and I are both from the DC area or, or have, have been there for many years. Yeah.
0: Right. In
1: my opinion, this is the controversial type. In my opinion, you and I don't have accents, Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: for other parts of the US we do. Also when I'm around people from the South, because I grew up in Virginia, I can get a little bit of a Southern drawl, not much, right. not not like somebody who's actually from the South since I'm from Northern Virginia, but when I'm around those people, I kind of code switch accidentally yeah. and I speak a little out, bit more yeah. Southern. Mm-hmm. Right. When I'm around people of my same age range, we talk about the same memes or we might accentuate something in our speech. There's just a little bit different language pattern that i kind yeah. of fall into naturally where, right you're trying to blend in with people around you, but then you have to like not do that and not speak with an accent at all. Um, hmm. I I have heard when I was speaking in Guatemala, one of the fellow instructors was from Georgia and it definitely had the classic Georgia Southern accent. And yeah. I remember people saying like, what was she saying there? Like other fellow participants were asking me, what was she saying? What was she saying? And I was kind of trying to translate in my Washington DC right, accent. Washington, so
0: Right. The, not the Washington Accent the Washington, not
1: that accent. one. Yeah. The Washington yeah, accent, yeah,
0: not that one. So that's interesting because I would guess, and and really not knowing much about languages, I could ask my wife, who's who's knows everything about languages, is around here somewhere. I would guess that a lot of people who are learning English, for example, as their second language, um, they're probably learning it from someone who also has a fairly neutral or no accent, right? So if I learned, yeah. if I was native Spanish speaker in Guatemala, and I learned. English from someone from Georgia with the southern twang, right, that probably that sound would be natural to me. Yeah. Right. Or if,
1: are you learning British
0: English? Right. Or are you right, exactly. Right. In yeah. in
1: Asia, Australia is still like a 10-hour flight away from here. But are you learning Australian English? Because that's the majority of tourists you see are either from Hawaii or Portland or LA, like the, the, right. the West Coast part of the US, or they're from Australia. I don't know. It's just yeah. these little things yeah. that
0: that's these little, things. Yeah.
1: little, little things that, right. that you can have very smart, hardworking people, very highly educated people in your audience, but they're just like working so hard to understand the data database content. If you don't yeah. try to do these things, right. if
0: they're trying to, if they're trying to decipher your voice as well. Yeah. That's, that's a big challenge. Yeah. Um, that's a good one. That's another good one. Okay. Uh, number eight.
1: Do use body language. Mm. If you're, okay,
0: so uh, I'm guessing I've seen you speak, so you use body language, you know, uh, make it clear. Uh, and I'll I'll let you dive into this a little bit more. But I am I am curious: is there any body language that you also avoid? So there, you've already talked about some things when you talk when you, in your language that you try to avoid. Other yeah. body language things that you also avoid.
1: Hmm. Yes. I, I I watched YouTube videos before I go to a new country on like. <laughs> how to not be an awful American when you're traveling. Right, right. Cultural cues that you should know yeah. ahead of time that I think just being yeah. a responsible, respectful traveler, you should know. So I've I've learned a couple. Um, with the body language, just to be clear, it's not just talking with your hands. It's things mm-hmm. like in data visualization, if you're recommending that they do do this thing, you nod your head up and down. Mm -hmm. You smile with your face and your eyes as you're talking about this wonderful thing you want people to start doing. You might, as cheesy as it feels doing it even right now, you might give them a thumbs up sign (laughs) so that they know this is a good thing. So it's crystal clear because they might be listening to you through a headset as the foreign language interpreter is speaking with a little bit of delay. They're also watching Mm -hmm. your slides. They're also looking at the handout. So like all these cues I think really matter. Thumbs up is interesting though, because in, they do it in Japan. I think I first learned this in Vietnam. Instead of thumbs up, they do the, what we call the okay symbol. They touch their thumb and their forefinger. So when, when you're doing a training here, you say, yes, do do this thing. And you do an okay symbol and you smile just to make it very, very (laughs) clear. You are recommending they do this thing. Wow. And when you're the the opposite do so you want to know how people say, do not do this thing? Like I just did it with yeah. my hands. If people are watching yeah, the video. Just like, this. Like,
0: yeah. Like the, the small, like safe symbol on baseball. Yeah, you, like, yeah.
1: In Japan. I mean, that's how, how I, if you're not
0: watching this, the video. In
1: Japan, you make an X, you make an X, you cross your arms, you touch your hands at the wrists. Huh? And that's very normal. And at first, the first time I encountered it, we were um, at Disney World over the holidays in Tokyo. And the Disney World operator was saying, no, you have to take your one-year-old out of the ergo baby carrier on your chest and put her yeah. in the seat next to you. And she's motioning all of this. She's she's kind of motioning to the baby in the carrier. And she does this X and smile huh. and kind of not like, smile. Don't I do smile. this. <laughs> because she's a polite Disney employee. Right. And they're not being rude. They're just saying, like, for safety reasons, no, yeah. X. Yeah and but you see it among cashiers you see it in the business world and offices that's just what they do to mean don't do this it's not rude in any way it's just what they do
0: that's just a symbol all right okay um wow okay so number nine
1: this is the most fun one for Dataviz. you have to find non-us examples you can't just show us maps you have to show world maps yeah if you're talking about, I do a lot of, of projects now with finance and accounting people and talking about project budgets. And right. you can't just have US dollars on your side yeah. of different currencies, preferably their country's currency. If you're doing, if you're showing examples from a newspaper or from the nightly news, any type of current event, you have to show world events. It can't yeah. be US centric events. Yeah, that's really and good. I've learned this the hard way. I wish I would have known this earlier on. This is probably the most important one, actually, out of the entire list. To find non-US examples.
0: Do you find them hard to find? I mean, I, I can name several places that I go to fairly regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I spend mo I mean, I'm in the US. I'm in a political policy world most mm-hmm. of the day. So I'm spending most of my time with the New York Times and the Washington Post and um the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. Um but have you sort of figured out or, you know, found your international places that you go now or is it just like hoping to get lucky
1: so think of all of our european data viz friends anything that they're tweeting yeah. or liking right. look to those publications so i'm thinking anything that andy kirk is tweeting i'm sure sh- i'm sure I, i'm not I, I haven't stalked his twitter channel in a while i don't want to put words in his mouth but i'm sure he's sharing <laughs> examples from throughout europe yeah um or other people might tend to have examples from asia or from latin america so you can look to those publications right. but more and more the more i train i've created my own examples so if i have an Mm -hmm. example of like here's how to do color coding on a map i make sure i have the us map for the us audiences and i might have a map of south america when i'm going to speak in south america or a map of europe Europe. if i'm going to speak in europe so just creating my own generic map examples it takes a lot of time it's not something you can do the night before your presentation it's something it's like an ongoing practice to become a better American better, traveling better, abroad. Yeah.
0: better American. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so those are great. Those are great. I want to add one. I don't know where yes. I would slot it. It's going to be, okay. you know, number something A. I, I heard this from Andy Kirk. Andy Kirk keeps coming up in this conversation, and, and <laughs> we'll, we'll tell everybody why in a moment. Um, so I heard either through Twitter, or we were chatting about it. He did a workshop or, or a tutorial or something in, I think, the United Arab Emirates. Hmm. And he had his just you know just like we both have, we have our little agenda for the day, um but what he didn't remember to keep it, take into account was prayer time, um which oh. I thought was a really interesting you know cultural difference that you know certainly not something that would be off the top of my head that'd be like, oh, I gotta and make sure I break these in a, and, you know break these things out, so I would guess there are other sorts of cultural things that you probably have to build into your agendas um for for different times with with prayer or this or that that you have to have to consider that you know probably for most of us just comes with you know making the mistake and learning from it Mm
1: -hmm. well hopefully this podcast will fast forward people and propel them a little bit more um okay the, the prayer time is so interesting because i've actually had that in the u.s with um oh, okay. with religious groups that I've worked with
0: oh sure I've had yeah. that a
1: few different times. They tell me in advance they say prayer time is always ten to ten, fifteen or whatever, so right. Um, right. I haven't had that working internationally yet. I've just had that in the u s and the, I worked with a like oh, a Catholic a church group, thing. and yeah. another group was a foundation that gave money to orphanages. And mm-hmm. and church church based orphanages around the world, so they had prayer time built in. They invite you to come to their prayer time with you. You can mm-hmm. you can go or not. It's it's very yeah. like they they don't care either way. Um, right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Hey, here's an obvious one. I can't believe I didn't think of this one. <laughs> when you're making an agenda, you have to remember that most people are in twenty four hundred like military time.
0: Yeah. Right. Right. Which is
1: so hard. I mess so that up all American. the time. It's
0: so not American. What is yeah. 3
1: p.m.? 3 p.m. is whatever <laughs> time it is to most people. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's that's not our thing. Yeah.
1: It's it's um, just it's very un- unnatural to me.
0: Yeah. Those are good. Those are really good. Um, should we tell our Andy Kirk story now or should we talk yeah. about uh, formatting reports first?
1: Andy Kirk, that's so much more Andy fun Kirk. than formatting reports, isn't it?
0: <laughs> I don't know if Andy does. Andy know this story?
1: I don't know. We'll have to just tell Andy he to might. listen to
0: this. Listen to this episode. Listen up, Andy. Um, do you want to? Yeah, Andy, pay attention. Do you want? You want to start this story? Well, our story of our story of how we met. John and I like
1: have known each other a while. It's a while, a while. I want to say eight years now, eight years. Does that sound right? I want to say, yeah,
0: 2010, 2011, something like that. So maybe longer. Mm -hmm. Maybe longer. I think longer. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Andy was in town, right? Doing his workshop Mm -hmm. and we both attended, didn't Mm -hmm. know each other. Mm -mm. Right. And somehow we ended up having lunch with Andy, the three of us. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we became fast friends and mm-hmm. since and we were also like basically around the corner from each other, started hanging out. But like, you know, it, it's, it's just kind of weird because we didn't like, who knew that we would both like end up changing jobs and getting so neck deep into the data viz world. Who knew.
1: I never could have predicted this No. also and I think another interesting twist on that story is you know you meet a lot of cool people when you attend trainings or conferences and maybe you keep in touch with them but maybe you didn't so yeah, right. it wasn't like we met and we said let's be best friends for the next decade <laughs> and collaborate on projects we'll have this John and Anne, like awesome energy we, we kind of re-met on Twitter then later I think yeah. because maybe I realized that you actually worked not too many metro stops away from where I left yeah. at the time and we kind of reconnected and then we'd have lunch over and over, over right. the years. Yeah. And, and I don't, some, I don't know. If, yeah.
0: I, I think it may have actually taken us a while to connect the dots mm-hmm. that we actually like, that's where we met. I feel like we connect like reconnected on Twitter and then it took a while for us to be like, now hold on a second. Have we had lunch at this place before? Cause I feel like I've eaten here with Andy Kirk before <laughs> and one other person. <laughs> So um, I don't know if Andy keeps track of all the friendships he produces at his workshops, but you know, that's, that's one of them.
1: So. This is a good one.
0: Good job, Andy. Um, okay. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about, um, let's talk about two more things because we want to keep, well, because you know, it's getting time for bed over here. <laughs> um, so let's talk about formatting reports. Cause I find it to be one of the more unique Things that you write about, because I don't think a lot of people are actually doing it, or at least not, they, I'm sure less people are doing it. But they're not writing about their process, and you you mm. get out there and talk about your process and, and how you think about it. So I don't really think I have like a specific question, other than to just say, you know, how do you approach working on reports and making them just better and more visual and you know easier to read? So that's like open door.
1: I'm so surprised that you have this impression of my work and my blog, to be honest, because reports (laughs) for me, it's just, you know, I work with a variety of groups now. So I work with government, federal, Mm -hmm. state, local, some more like international types of groups that work across many countries. I work with foundations. I work with NGOs. I work with universities. I work with library systems like it's a little bit of everybody for-profits nonprofits like i mentioned some religious groups in there and in a perfect world they would have very short succinct reports in addition to many other formats in addition to oh in addition to something i want to ask you about the pyramid shape thing that you're working Mm -hmm. on yeah about what types of dissemination formats appeal to what types of audiences so they in a perfect world it, time permitting, skills permitting, people would have the report and the slideshow version, right. and they'd have the multiple handouts, and they'd have the infographic, and they'd have the social media images, and they'd have the, like the whole news thing. release, they'd have the podcast release, right. and this entire broad communication strategy for getting their data into the world, getting their research yeah. out into policy decisions. But that's that's the case in some groups. There, I, I definitely see in every group a desire to do that it's just not in practice happening yet mm-hmm. so it's like well in the yeah. meantime you're still going to have your report or you're still required to write your report because your boss requires it because that's the way it's always been or right. you get funding from from a foundation or a federal agency and you have to write a report so you it's like to, in the yeah. meantime let's let's write good reports let's yeah. make them let's make them better and gosh I'm trying to think of things I've specifically blogged about because like you, I have so many examples I can't blog about. It takes a lot of energy to like either get permission to blog about a certain um, yeah. process or to anonymize it.
0: I can't conjure up a specific post, but like I, I've definitely seen you write about things like mm-hmm. using colors, one using breakers for things like, you know, you know, don't just have chapter two is like in instead of 12 point font, it's down 14 point font, like make a nice page with a picture. And then another one that I think you've used, um, is how to use icons and objects and, mm-hmm. and images in the body of the text so that it mm-hmm. and I just I, I think, you know, I, I do have like a vague memory of recollection of of mm-hmm. images you put up where I'll put it this way, uh my editor at at my publisher has has always talked about trying to get rid of what he calls the word wall. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like you open the book and it's just two pages of, you know, 12 point font text, just, you know, and especially when you're doing visual content, it just seems like a lot all of a sudden to be faced mm-hmm. with this page of text. And you've just ha- you have just have this approach where you're breaking it up. So it's still, maybe it's instead of two pages, it's two and a half, but it's broken up in a way that just seems easier to read.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the first technique you mentioned, I call color coding by chapter. And it's the mm-hmm. idea that you still might have a long report. I'm thinking of a, a recent example I worked on with a public health group, a state public health group, and it was still gonna be a hundred page report. Would mm-hmm. I have loved for it to be a 20-page report or multiple 20-page reports? Of course. That wasn't realistic. You know, Maybe in five years from now that might be happening, but, but not for this particular project. So we knew it was still going to be really lengthy, so we had to make it easy for people to find the information they wanted. Maybe some people want the opioid chapter. Other people right. want the maternal health chapter. Other people want the environmental toxins chapter depending on like which community groups are gonna be using this data, usually in their grant making or decision making. So what you do is you look at, I recommend people use their branding colors and they don't just find random colors. Random colors, yeah. So we look at their logo (laughs) and their website and they have two or three or four branding colors on there. Let's just say it's like a blue, a turquoise, a purple and a red. Okay, I'm thinking of this recent report again. So chapter one is in the first brand color chapter mm-hmm. 2 is in the second brand color and by by saying it's in that brand color i mean you might have a full bleed photo starting that chapter, saying it's it's chapter one, it's the introduction. I often do an overlay on top of that photo, to, like I'll mm-hmm. use a black and white photo, and then I literally, in Word, I don't use any fancy software, I'm super right. anti, like you need fancy software to do this. Yeah. Everyday products, as you do, and I put a rectangle on Word, yeah. in Word yeah. on top of it, to right make top it of it. the blue from their logo.
0: Yeah. And Love then
1: that. all the words in that chapter, the heading ones, the heading twos, call-out boxes are the blue. So it's a very yeah. blue chapter. The graphs have blue. They may be a gray and blue gra- graph. So people know you're in chapter one. And then you're yep. scrolling, 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 or maybe you're flipping through a printed booklet, and all of a sudden you get to turquoise. And your right. brain says, the color changed, therefore the content must have changed. It's a yeah. turquoise full-bleed photo, turquoise heading ones, turquoise heading twos, turquoise is the color on the graphs. It's so simple when you see it. It's so powerful. Yeah. It takes yeah, it takes a couple hours to do because you're literally like clicking on text to change the color. Better
0: change the colors, right?
1: But it's worth it. I think it's the best use of people's yeah. time if if they just have a couple hours of time.
0: It's funny. I was gonna. I was about to ask, and I knew what the answer would be. I was about to ask. You know, do you do this all in InDesign or Illustrator? And I knew you would. I knew. You know, just because we share the same sort of mm-hmm. ethos and approach. And I, I was talking to a, a designer once who who's a you know PowerPoint MVP, and she said, you know, you can do a lot of stuff in Microsoft Word. You just have you to really make can. it look like just make it look like it wasn't made in Microsoft Word. Like that's yeah. you know just like and just like you said the full bleed, like that alone does now not look like a Microsoft Word pro mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And I'm sure that I could learn a publisher sure, or, or Adobe sure. products. I've dabbled in them. I know you could learn these. It's just that Word's the common denominator as Excel yeah. is and PowerPoint. So if, if I know, these reports are always a collaboration. It's not just me doing it and I say, okay, here's your report. It looks completely different yeah. from where we started. I hope you adopt it and keep these practices in your organization. No, of course not. It's a full collaboration from start to finish, at, at least at the beginning to kind of brainstorm ideas together and show them examples from other projects. So it, it has to be made in a software program where they can run with it after I yeah. pass the baton over. It has right. to be something they can use themselves.
0: Right, exactly. So if you're going to require them to learn the Adobe suite and get in design, you're adding more costs and time, whereas if they're a Microsoft shop, mm-hmm. teach them how to use teach them those how to use tools. Microsoft. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Okay, okay. Um, wait, 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 so, John, I have a funny story
1: about this though. And okay. This is a request for the readers. All right. I thought I knew where I learned this top this concept of color coding by chapter. It is yeah. not mine. I okay. thought I learned it from, do you know who's a presentation design expert who's based in Japan?
0: I do. I do. I knew. I know who you're talking
1: about. Gar Reynolds, who has several books. He's got presentations and he's got presentations and design, who I got to meet yesterday. Oh, nice. And and he's got
0: naked presenter.
1: Yes. I haven't read that one yet. I've read the two okay, presentations and Zen ones. We're just like, we met up for coffee. Apparently by chance, yeah. I am, you know, a few Metro stops from where he lives, which yeah. what a wonderful coincidence. We're just like hanging out at a park bench, watching my kids play on the playground as my husband's watching them. <laughs> That's great. And he brought me the, um, his new presentations Zen. I'm like looking at it over here just came out. Yeah. I think it's the third edition maybe. And I'm yeah. telling him, Oh, my favorite thing about this book is that it's color-coded by chapter. I learned this from you and I teach it and it's amazing. And he's like, actually, that's not this book. So I don't know where I learned that from. But in my mind, like 10 years ago, I got this idea from him. It might be the presentations and design book might be the kind of the flip-flopping from chapter. So if anybody knows where I learned this, I, I don't want to take credit for this. I think it's a brilliant concept, but it's just something that I hope universally we kind of all adopt. Yeah. Chapter one, this color. Well, chapter two, the, the next color.
0: You certainly didn't learn it from me because uh, my book only came out in 2016. But I do it. I do it in my presentation book. I do that same approach, and it's awesome. It's probably it's more subtle mm-hmm. than than the way you've described it. So the way the way mine breaks out, it's like there's a there's a header page, you know, chapter three. There's a big three in mm-hmm. a triangle, and that triangle is red, and the facing page is red, mm-hmm. and then you just go into the rest of the text, and the headers in in uh, in red but the lines that separate the image from the caption is just like a, a very thin red line. So then, and then there's a purple chapter and a blue chapter. So um, yeah, I, I like that approach too. I'm thinking, I wonder if it's Nancy Duarte's book. It could be. Yeah. It's a great approach. I agree. It's great. And it's so easy to implement. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, okay. So let, let, let me ask this. So, so back to where we started, what are some of the things you tell people to do and not to do that you think are the more controversial things. Let's see if we can get you in a little bit of trouble.
1: Controversial things. Oh my gosh. So I've, already no like 3D, no,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've already heard you say no 3D pie charts. Just so stirring I think, the pot. Think, just stir, stir, the it, pot. Stir, stir it up.
1: <laughs> um, okay, this is probably the most controversial for your audience. I'm, I'm okay. thinking of, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm thinking um, the more academic audience who's very aware of their research, very sophisticated on data viz knowledge, which I definitely yeah. work with those people. But I also work with, the regular people where their, <laughs> their role is data analyst or something, or maybe their role right. is data visualization or their, or their role is not data. And they just wanna know, like maybe the research is mixed, but like, what should I do in the meantime? They need very clear yeah. guidance because this might be the only viz training that they ever take. So I can't like let them walk out of the room with this fuzzy sense of like, I have no idea how to implement this because right. I don't know what to do. So this is probably the most controversial. I teach them that pie charts are okay in some circumstances <laughs> many people say pie charts are the devil they're horrible right. you can never use them they're so <laughs> bad you're like laughing at me because this is so you're like are you no, no but person? i totally i totally
0: agree with you i 100 agree but i'm laughing because yes there are a lot of people who are you know they're shaking their fists at us right now but i totally agree with you there are and just
1: comments. to clarify i have i have many blog posts on this topic i have a yep. list of seven criteria don't ask me to name them. I don't have the memorized. But it's it's it. You basically get you get to the bottom of the list, and I say, okay, so like, don't do this. Like, it can't be three D. It needs to be two D. And yeah. you know, don't do that. Don't have a separate legend. It needs to be directly labeled. Which yeah. if you're okay. if you're familiar with data you're like, well, of course, the no three D right. rule applies to many many circumstances. But you get yeah. to the bottom, and I say. When it is okay to use pie charts, you know, it's not that you're never going to use pie charts. They're a familiar chart. Your audience loves them, especially if you have a non-technical audience. It's not that you'd never use this great familiar chart that they love. When it's just two slices Mm -hmm. for – that's it. Just a two-slice pie chart. It's 2D. It's not 3D. It's directly labeled. So it would be like people who live in urban areas versus everybody else combined, like the dark slice of those people you're focusing on versus everybody else in gray or – people who graduated high school on time versus everybody else combined. Mm-hmm. Not the three slice, not the 10 slice, the simple, yeah. clear cut overview pie chart. I'm okay so with those.
0: I even take it a step further. So I have, I, I now we're getting into a pie charts conversation, but we'll, we'll <laughs> cut it off because there's people who are just rolling their eyes at us right now. <laughs> so I have, I have, so for the two slice pie chart, I agree with you, but I'm also in some instances saying, do you really need a pie chart? Like, do you need a graph, right? Because if you show mm-hmm. me that one slice, it's 10%. Like, just tell me it's 10%. I don't know if I need a graph. So mm-hmm. my my rule of thumb is no more than three slices that you're going to focus on and that those three slices sum to uh, one of the three following numbers 25 percent fifty percent or 75 percent mm-hmm. because those hit those those right angles that, that we are familiar yep. with. So if you're saying you know the sum of groups a B and c are slightly more than 50 percent so you might have four slices in your pie chart, but three of them are the darker colors and then there's the rest is gray or whatever yes and you can sort of see how it you can it's easy yes. for us to see it past fifty percent.
1: Those absolutely are agree. Syrup. I call okay. this familiar fractions. So I do the 25, oh, yeah, 50, nice. 75. I would also yeah. include the one third, two thirds, like a 33%, yeah. a 66% in my mind also fall in there because I think you yeah. can visually, who knows you what a 10% looks like versus a 15%. No, right. I don't right. know. Absolutely. But if it's absolutely. one of those common breakpoints, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally nice. cool with those. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, let me ask one more just to get your take because it's a, it's a topic of interest for me right now. So what is your take on zero axis for the vertical axis in a bar <laughs> chart?
1: we we'll get you I, on record. okay before we started recording, I told you I had just listened to one of your podcasts this morning, yeah. the most recent one that was published. Now by the time yeah. our conversation is published there might be several more And the woman was like the researcher on this.
0: Yeah, she's just on a paper on it. yeah However I was
1: I listen to podcasts as I get ready. so I had my phone sitting on this little like cart next to the shower. Right. So I don't know what she said because <laughs> I have a water blaring on me there's like <laughs> echoing noise. I um whatever she said, I I would yeah. do that. Um and I feel okay. like you are more of a purist in this than than I am.
0: I I think I am still. I I just you know for me and the paper's really interesting and I think for me one paper doesn't prove mm-hmm. one way or the other. And so Um, basically her recommendation is to have this, you know, 1.5, I think it's 1.5 standard deviations is where you sort of pick your Mm cutoffs. For me, I just feel like I'm not convinced, right? Like I'm still anxious. you said like a true
1: researcher, John.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you (laughs) know, I mean, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there are still smart people out there yelling, not yelling, smart people out there talking about, you know, what to do about this, and, and the arguments are—they're are, are mm-hmm. they're solid arguments. So,
1: okay, no, I, I, I just, do have yeah. very clear guidance on this. So, this is my okay. take that I tell people in my workshops. I say you must label the minimum and the maximum. Mm-hmm. And I didn't always used to feel like that. I used to tell people if it starts at zero and it goes to a hundred percent, don't worry, like that's kind of the norm is like zero up to whatever the max is. Right. I changed my tune after the last election cycle because I felt like people were purposefully in news outlets misleading us one way or the other or in different publications. So now I say, we are not lying with statistics, no way. We are trying to be truthful and unbiased and honest about the data, of course, which I've never met anybody in my workshops who's trying to lie with statistics. Everybody has very good intentions, very, very good intentions. And I say, just to be safe, to just prove to people we're not trying to mislead them, I want you to label the min and the max. Mm -hmm. And I tell them the best practice is to start at zero yeah. And I, I joke with them because these are like not data viz people. Like I don't know if the right. people in my workshops will ever listen to this podcast. I'll, I'll tell them it exists, but I don't know <laughs> if they're going to listen. Like they could care less about these conversations that like people yeah, yeah, like yeah. us love having. Right. And I tell them, just so you know, there is a thriving lively debate in the data viz community about this issue. Yeah. The research is mixed because I want to let them know that there is like a community research, of people. Yeah. There's like a data viz society. There's books on this topic. They're maybe not in this particular research study, but like, you know, on data yeah. visualization. And I say, the research is mixed. I don't care if you start at zero or not, but I want you to label it because I want you to be truthful and accurate.
0: Right. I think, I think the term, the the phrase best practice or rule of thumb is probably the one that still applies as opposed to a rule. I think we're Mm -hmm. starting just like, I kind of feel like the field did with pie charts. We kind of moved away from this like rule that no pie charts ever. And maybe we're seeing the start of this period where we'll move away from the zero axis, but I'm, I'm not there yet. And I, you know, I know Chad Skelton's probably listening to this podcast, you know, shaking his fist at me. Cause, um, cause, <laughs> cause he's, he's one of these leading voices to make us think a little bit harder about this. So, um, but he you now just have to keep fighting it out.
1: Well, that's tricky too. When you're in the training role, like we are versus the yeah. trainee role, which is 99% of the world. And yeah. for us, it's like, you need to know the rules so that you know when to break them but communicating yes. those nuances to a workshop group that may or may not have any prior data viz knowledge. Yeah. It's really tricky. So I feel like as a trainer, it is your job to be like, let them know that there are some debates, but also they yeah. have to leave with very clear guidance on what's okay and what's not. Yeah. And, and I'll tell people too, like, I'll tell you now, if you look back at past blog posts from like 2012, go back several hundred blog posts, you, I'm sure you'll see blog posts where I haven't labeled the minimum and maximum. Mm-hmm. But now I do, and I, I definitely recommend that other people label them yeah. in the max as well.
0: Yeah. It's good to evolve with the field. Just, you know, we're all learning. Yep. Um, wow. We talked for a while. Thanks. I know.
1: <laughs> I could talk all day or all night all for day. you, but well, I know all, all you've got me. other yeah. things.
0: I've got other things. Um, well, thanks for thanks for taking time out. Um and enjoy it now let me let me ask this um so the kids and your husband are at the zoo mm-hmm. what's the weather like there
1: it's cold it's very similar to dc you know 40s right. during the day whatever that means in celsius i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it's cold. So that's it's another cold one weather. that's yeah. another one
0: you just picked up another one right Absolutely. like going from fahrenheit to celsius yeah mm-hmm. that's a good one that's that's a good last way to, to way to end this yeah cool thanks so much Yeah, that was fun
1: thanks john bye good night bye
0: And thanks for everyone for tuning in to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned a little bit about what it might take if you need to communicate to an audience in another country or another culture. Um, This show is completely listener supported. So if you would like to help support the show, please rate or review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you would like to financially support the show, um, that would be great. I would love it. Uh, Please head over to my Patreon page. Uh, where you can get some gear for yourself and your data friends and family. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. There's more to come in the following weeks. And until next time, this has been the Policy of His podcast. Thanks so much for listening.